God of the second opportunity. Lesson 11. God of the second opportunity. Focuses on John, uh, Jonah chapter 3 and Jonah chapter 4. Has God ever given you a second opportunity? Anyone? I'd say He's given me a lot of second, third opportunities. The Bible here has some... And, and when we study the Word of God, we understand that words are put into these verses certain ways so that we could understand the purpose of them. We could, we could recognize what God is emphasizing. So go with me, if you will, to Jonah 1, verse number 1. Let's look at Jonah 1, verse number 1. The Bible says in Jonah 1.1, 1, 1, I know we covered that last week. It was covered last week, but, but hang in there with me. Jonah 1 verse 1 says this, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah. Again, now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah. Go back, if you will, to chapter 3 verse number 1. Chapter 3, verse 1 says this, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. When I see that, that the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, I have to understand there's grace and there's mercy involved with this. Because Pastor taught, Pastor Folger uh, taught on Jonah 1 and 2, and we saw what transpired with Jonah whenever the word of the Lord came to Jonah the first time. It wasn't heeded, was it? it? As a matter of fact, he did everything he could to go away from the word of the Lord and what the word of the Lord was telling him to do. And yet God put him through some situations and circumstances that caused him to repent. Not a repentance of salvation, but a repentance of his relationship, his fellowship with the Lord. In other words, Jonah came to the end of himself and he recognized he had been going away from the word of the Lord. And he calls out to God and God answers. And obviously, Jonah, God knows our heart, doesn't he? And God saw that Jonah's heart obviously had to be serious and it had to be sincere. And God has that, well, just spit Jonah right out there on the shore. And as pastor said, I can imagine the condition that Jonah was in. You learn on these trips that you're not always going to get a shower every day. You kind of work with things and that when you go over to do a mission trip. And if you've been on a mission trip, you know what I'm talking about. And so you kind of, you're like this, well, if he can put up with me, I can put up with him. And you work with it. Jonah came out bad. There's no doubt about that. And the blessing of it, I say to you tonight, is this. God is the God of second chances. And the word of the Lord comes to Jonah the second time, the Bible says. As I understand and recognize that God has been good to me and God has given me second opportunities, a thought came to me as I'm looking at this because there's going to be some challenges with Jonah after God gives him something to do, a work to do. And so 
those challenges that Jonah faces has to do possibly with his attitude to what God is giving him to do and his attitude towards others that God has told him to reach. And so the question comes to me of this. Do I extend mercy and grace to others the way that God has extended mercy and grace to me? Because this is a challenge for Jonah. He struggles showing mercy and grace to the the people of Nineveh here and seems short-memoried with the grace and mercy that God had given him. And I was convicted as I began to study this because God laid on someone in my heart that I needed to extend uh, an olive branch too, if you will, and maybe a challenge there that was there. And, and immediately it's like, God says, Ron, are you doing that with this person? Yes. Yes. They've done something that you know is not right. Yes. Maybe, you know, it was disrespectful, but now stop. Think about the mercy and the grace of God that He has shown to us. And then we think of that one. Maybe that there's just been that challenge, that struggle to forgive. Maybe to show mercy and grace to. So I have to act. I have to do what the Lord wants me to do. I have to reach out. What is the word of the Lord that comes the second time to Jonah? Verse 1 again of chapter 3. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying... Let me read this. I want to see if I can find. The learner will realize that failure does not preclude. I love this. The learner will realize that failure does not preclude all future blessings and will praise God for his graciousness in his or her life. Amen. So. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah the second time, saying, verse 2, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Roman number one, Jonah preaches to the people. We've seen that Jonah ran from God, but God calls him to preach to Nineveh here. And it's, it's the same thing that God wanted him to do before. And again, I say unto you, it's the same thing that God wanted Jonah to do before, that Jonah ran from, and Jonah got right, and now the word of the Lord comes a second time to him saying, I want you to do what I told you to do in the beginning. And we see the difference here is that Jonah answers this second call, uh, verse 3, in a way that he didn't answer the first call. He learned his lesson. Praise the Lord. And now he responds different. That's what growing in grace is. That's what falling is about. It's about recognizing we need God's help. We're going to be willing to listen to him when he tells us to do it the second time. And so we, 
He hops up, verse number three. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. And so things always go better in our life when we listen and obey the word of the Lord. That's something that each of us has to do as an individual. God has a different voice that or a word of the Lord that he would give you. And I'm not talking about contrary to doctrine. I'm not talking about anything like that. I'm just talking about everyday life. God has us all in different places. He's using us in, 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 in those places. And the word of the Lord for me certainly may not be what the word of the Lord is for you. And, um, We have to recognize when God gives us a calling, we have to respond to that. There are times whenever, and I'm just being transparent, my wife knows this. There are times whenever it was time to go to the soldiers of Ukraine and I was packing my bags at the last minute. And it wasn't a burden that pulled me to go there. It was obedience to God. Amen. And as we obey God and do the things He wants us to do, God can give us that burden. But the burden, depending on you know, what's going on in our life, you know, the obedience is so much greater than the burden. Am I making sense? Our obedience, well, I don't feel like doing it. Well, obedience to God is obedience to God. If you obey God, God's going to get you in there and you're going to be all in. And I've seen that, uh, you know, I'm not going to say that's every time because it's certainly not, but uh, God willing, this is our 17th trip to go over there. And if you think that every time it was time to go over there, I was sitting on the edge of my seat, just burdened to go, I would be lying. But obedience is greater than a burden. Amen. Obedience to our Lord is what guides us and directs us to do the things that he would want us to do and enables us to do those things. I, uh, I don't know if you've seen this or not. I got a little cartoon thing. It, was a, it, it had a little kitten, a little fluffy little kitten in the first picture. And in the second picture, it had this huge lion. And this one said before prayer, and this one said after prayer. And I submit to you that if we are obeying God and we are doing what He wants us to do and we are understanding what He's doing in our life and we are that little kitten in the beginning of it. But when we go to God, knowing it's what He's given us to do and He's put it on our plate to face, we can go to Him with boldness and we can say, God, I need you in me to do what you'd have me to do. I'm obeying your voice and because I'm obeying your voice, I need your help. And God's there to help. Jonah went preaching exactly what God told him to do. Let's read verses 3 and 4. Let me get my outline here. Jonah's second call and Jonah's preaching. He did exactly what God wanted him to do. So let's read verse 3 again. So Jonah rose and went into Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, here's his message. Eight words. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be 
overthrown. He goes in obeying God with the message that God has given him to do. And he says, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. 40 days. And the Bible tells us here that God does a work. Look, if you will, at verse number five. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them, even to the least of them. For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he rose, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him a sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And as Jonah's gone in there, he's preached the word of the Lord, the words that God's given him. As I studied this out, they were saying that basically Nineveh was so huge that it was like three days of walking. And so this Three days of walking and Jonah saying, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And he says it again and he says it again. And the people hear this. And the Bible says that the people humble themselves before God, believing and understanding what was being said to them from the man of God. Even the king himself, everyone from the throne on down. They're, they're understanding that this is truth that is being spoken to them. And I love that. They're hearing truth and they're responding to that truth. So is it important for the man of God to give the truth as God gives it to him? Absolutely. So if God gives a message to someone, a man of God, he would... Be required to give that message as God would want him to. You can't hold back. Give exactly what God wants you to give. And hearts were touched. Verse 7, And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. I love this. The reason I love this is the man of God is right with God. He's got the message from God and he's giving it exactly as God has told him to give it. And the truth is being recognized and the truth is being responded to and the truth is affecting them. The king is saying sackcloth and ashes. Nobody's eating anything. Get rid of the evil out of us. Get rid of the, the sin. Let every man cry mightily, it says in verse number eight. Let them turn everyone from his evil way. Is it important? Yes. It's necessary for the recipient of that truth to respond correctly so that they're letting go of their sin and they're crying out to God for his mercy because judgment is coming, the Bible says. What an accurate description of how the gospel needs to be preached, how when the truth is recognized... It must be responded to. And it must be responded to God's way. And obviously it satisfied God. Look with me, if you will. God's mercy. So we've done A, B, C, D. And so verse 9. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? 
And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. I want to just focus on this a few moments. This is not saying that God has done something wrong and thus he is repenting. This is saying that the mind of God was fixed upon judgment on Nineveh. But when God sees their repentance and how sincere and how real it is, then God changes his mind about his action toward them and the judgment that was to come. That's salvation. We understand truth. We respond correctly to Christ and what he's done for us. We do things God's way. And when we receive Christ, the wonderful thing is the wrath of God is removed from us. Nineveh responds correctly to the preaching, to the truth that was given. But we see something interesting. Look, if you will, at verse 1 of chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. Let's be honest. This is a little comical, right? I mean, you think to yourself, now, wait a second. Jonah, he's the only one I know of that's been in the belly of the whale, you know what I'm saying? And, then he, and that was the judgment of God upon him. And, but, boy, there's such good stuff in here about that. But he responded correctly, and God showed mercy. Spit him out on dry land. Amen. We love that. We love seeing that. But then Jonah goes and does what he's supposed to do, and he gives the word of the Lord, and, and they respond properly to it. And I'm talking about, it's not just one inside of a well. This is thousands. Thousands from the king all the way down respond properly to the truth that was given, to the words that were preached, to the warning that was given. They responded properly. And Jonah's like, you got to be kidding me. You're going to have mercy on them. We forget the mercy that was bestowed on us. Listen. Jonah's a child of God. So if he dies, guess where he's going? The Ninevites, they weren't saved. So their fate without repentance was a whole lot worse than Jonah's. And he's like, this ain't right. That they would respond and that you would show mercy. Jonah is displeased. Roman number two, that's God teaches his prophet and A, Jonah's displeasure. This is going to be a little bit of a challenge here. Jonah was not just a little annoyed. He was red hot with anger. Why was he displeased? Well, look if you will, verse 2. Jonah himself gives the reason he's angry. So verse 1, for sake of context, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord. I I would kind of like to meet Jonah. You know, obviously he's in heaven and he's perfect. But just, you see, listen, folks, and and understand this. We see some characters in the Bible, don't we? 
I mean some stuff that causes us to scratch our head. We're that way too, you know what I'm saying? Characters. But, you know, just... You would think Jonah would be jumping up and down. Look at the whole city. Now listen, if I'm preaching and the whole city gets saved, I think I'd be beside myself. I think most preachers would be. Verse 2. And he prayed unto the Lord, and he said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? In other words, he's like, God, I knew this was going to happen. That's why I didn't want to go to him. Because, you know, I'm going to go, and you're going to show mercy on him. So, verse 2. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before into Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful slow to anger and of great kindness and repentest thee of the evil. In other words, when he sees repentance, true repentance, God will change his plan with that individual, his judgment upon them. And Jonah knew what kind of God he had and was serving, and he did not want mercy upon Nineveh. Um, pretty amazing because we want mercy for ourselves. Oh boy, I want grace. I want a second word from the Lord. That second calling that we saw in 3.1 and the word of the Lord came into Jonah the second time saying, I'm thankful for that. Times he's done that for us in our lives. Look, if you will, at verse 3, and this is how low it goes. Therefore now, O Lord, says, Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. We can really feel sorry for ourselves sometimes, can't we? The truth and the reality of this, many have repented, God has turned his judgment from them because they've sought him in sackcloth and ashes. They've repented. They've come to God. And Jonah says, this is not right. I might as well be dead. This is crazy. <laughs> That's what he said. God, take me. Take me out. This, I, I just, to watch this is unbelievable. It's unbearable. God, just take me home. You know, you try and figure an application for this. And obviously the application is extend mercy and grace to others as it's been extended to you. But can we really get that low when we see someone that maybe we don't care for and God blesses them or God helps them and we don't like them? We don't think it's right. Yet God is a merciful God and all those that would come to Him the way He desires. Sackcloth and ashes. Do you know that no matter what someone has done, they seek God properly, His way, they can be forgiven. 
and they can have mercy. So God's verse 4 says here, Jonah 4, 4, Then said the Lord, Dost thou well to be angry? In other words, are you really justified to be angry, Jonah? Are you justified to be angry, Ron, that someone's done you wrong and it's a little thing, and yet you're not willing to extend them that mercy? Or... Someone has done something wrong, and it's a big thing, serious thing. But they've gotten it right with the Lord. Are there consequences? Yes. But is there the ability to be right with God for them? Yes, absolutely. And guess what? We don't have a right to be angry that God would bestow His mercy Upon them also. God gives a question here in verse 4, but God knows the answer before he gives that question. So verse 4 says this. It's God's question, verses 4 and 5. Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth and sat under in the shadow Till he might see what would become of the city. He's a hoot. That's what I'm going to say. Just very interesting. He's a character. And so he's preached the truth. He's, he's watching and seeing what's taking place. And he goes and sets himself up on a hill. He's mad. He's angry. He finds a little booth and he sits down under, under the shadow and he's watching. Waiting for God to just stomp these people out. God gives an object lesson to him. We're almost done. Verse 6. And the Lord prepared a gourd and made it to come, over, to come up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. And there's really a message there about circumstances. What was giving Jonah circumstan- uh, circumstantial joy? It was the gourd. And so... He, he sees what the gourd is doing for him. And when our hearts are not right, let me, I want to say this and hopefully I can get it across right. When our hearts are not right with God towards others, oftentimes we're living according to our circumstances and our joy is not in the Lord and who he is and what he can do for us and others, but our joy is in the circumstances that we're in. Someone said, well, two months from now, it's going to be great for me because two months from now, I'm going to get that check. And then life will be good and things will be great. Well, three months from now, I'm going to get that promotion. And at that point, life's going to be better. Well, a year from now, my circumstances are going to change and they're going to be better. And at that point, I'm going to be able to have joy in my life. Folks, we don't know that those two months are ever going to come or those three months are ever going to come or that year will ever come. So our joy is in Him alone, not in our circumstances. And it's very obvious that Jonah here is not walking correctly with God 
And his attitude towards God and others is not correctly. And so it's on his circumstances. And his circumstances are determining whether he's going to be happy with God or or, or glad with God or upset with God. Does that make sense? Well, God, you're not dealing with them like I want you to. Now I'm mad. Well, God, now I've got this booth and this gourd and now I'm happy. I'm not hot from the heat. Well, now the gourd is gone, and so now I'm dissatisfied, and he says again, God, just take me, it's time. So let's look, um, let's read verse number 5 again. Chapter 4, verse 5. Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth, and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished in himself to die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. How many times have we seen this from him, right? I, I've, I've heard someone say before, it's just better to go. This is too much. We remember God does not put more on us than we can bear. We remember that we're walking in Him. He is enabling us to face tomorrow with joy. And the unhappy circumstances, if you will, disrupted Jonah's joy, if you will. And he's saying, it's better off just to go. I want to say this. Having cancer, God did show me something. That no matter what your circumstances are with your health, you can have the joy of the Lord and you can serve the Lord in spite of those things. And they don't have to burden you down. I remember making several trips over to the soldiers, and it's like you got to put yourself aside here. What you're doing and who you're serving is greater than these circumstances. God gives us circumstances and difficulties so that we give them back to Him. And we allow Him to enable us to be who we can only be through His help and might. Verse 10 says this, Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not labored. He's going to have pity on that gourd. I don't even know if a gourd, what is it? Is a gourd a squash? Is that a vegetable? So he's thinking more of that vegetable than the Bible says he's thinking of 120,000 children that are in that city that he's just sitting there hoping God breaks his wrath out upon it. 
Let's read verse 10 and 11. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in the night and perished in the night. In other words, that thing was here and it's gone. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left? And commentators would say, these are children. They don't know the difference between, they're so young that, and so innocent that they don't understand what sin is. They don't, they don't understand, the Bible says, that discern between what's the right hand and what their left hand is. And even all so much cattle, the Bible says. And so God says to Jonah, stop, think, remember the mercy and grace of God that's been extended to you. And show compassion and mercy and grace on others. Look at Nineveh, 120,000 children, and yet you think more about that vegetable that rose up and disappeared in a day's time. And God has to help us sometimes to get our priorities right in life so we're not consumed with the material things that come and go, but we see things for how they really are. Souls are dying around us. Time is short. May God help me to extend to others the wonderful mercy and grace that God has extended to me and you. God help us to have our priorities in line that we see what matters in life and what really doesn't matter. You know, I'll never, never forget seeing those soldiers load up on that train. You know, and I just thought to myself, it's like they're going into death. They really are. You know, I don't know how many of them are still alive. I pray that all of them are. I'm telling you what, it just, it just made you stop. Think what really, really matters. Is it that I, I missed that program? I always, and somehow I didn't get that program today. We were, we were at Walmart and a woman was trying to get lottery tickets out of that machine or whatever those, and it didn't, somebody help me, I need help right now. I mean, raising her, just can't get that machine to work. And we sit there and we, Charlotte and I were driving along and it's road rage because you don't get out of their way fast enough. And, you know, I've been in a war zone and I've seen people that are just trying to make it and trying to have a smile on their face and just trying to live through that day without a breakdown. And you don't see them arguing and you don't see them yelling and screaming at each other. And you remind yourself how blessed we are as Americans and how ungrateful we are and how spoiled I am. Christ is coming soon. What we do for Him is what matters. And we don't know how much longer we've got. This is not the time 
to sit on the side. It's the time to be involved. It's the time to take the gospel. Dennis, uh, special forces young man that I told you guys about before, um, it's unbelievable. We were in that hotel in Dnieper, and I was just getting coffee, and old Dennis walks up to me and says, are you so-and-so? I said, no. But you're not so-and-so? I said, no. He says, I thought you were one of our trainers that came over from the States a while back. And I said, no, but God obviously gave me an opportunity to talk with you, and we gave him the gospel and gave him the material, and he took a train to chase us down, and Dennis and I, we continued to communicate, and Dennis prayed to receive Christ, and Dennis uh, got back in the battle and was wounded, and he ends up at a hotel where we were, and Brother Jim Pranger went up to him yesterday. Dennis gave a testimony of knowing Christ. May God use us again help someone else.